Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I am excited to be with you this morning. I'm excited to dive into the scriptures. Um, we're going to get started with Shane is actually going to read the entirety of the scripture we're going to be going over, going over today, um, and then we'll get started. It's Romans 6, 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Thank you. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning, and we are hungry for your truth. We're hungry for what you have to tell us about your nature and about our relationship with you. Lord, I pray that as we pour ourselves over the scriptures that you would uh, bless our effort, what little it is, that you might give us wisdom and slowly and surely make us righteous. Amen. So as I was pondering this passage and kind of going over, okay, what are the points that I want to make or what are the points that uh, hopefully God wants me to make, um, it, it was difficult because this scripture is rich. And we've been in Romans for a while now, and you can see there's a theme of every verse is meaningful. And God's truth has a way of magnifying itself and uh, becoming applicable to multiple situations or things. And that's why you'll, you'll hear us call it the living word of God a lot, because you can pour yourself over and over and over the scriptures and continue to just crack the surface of the truth that God has. Today we're gonna to be focusing on a couple key words in the Christian faith called justification and sanctification. Those of you who have been around the church for a while, those words are very familiar to you. If you are new to the church or you know maybe a recent convert or maybe this is just absolutely new to you, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about, but that's okay because when Paul was writing Romans, a lot of his book was about these two concepts. And what we're gonna go over today is in chapter five and chapter six, what we just read of what Paul had to say about those two things. And so we're gonna start in chapter five real quick and kind of cover what justification means and what we mean by that. Let's go to chapter Romans chapter five, verse eight. It says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath 
of God. See, Paul says that we are justified by Christ's blood, and that justification saves us from the wrath of God. Our faith in Jesus grants us access to be cleansed, forgiven, redeemed with the Father. It justifies and pays for the penalties that we have incurred. I once heard Sinclair Ferguson, he's a Scottish preacher, and he had an excellent uh, way of explaining this. And he said that in the olden days, the Scottish government, when you were uh, had committed a crime, and you're gonna be executed, what they would do is they would put you in your cell and they would always execute people at 8 a.m. in the morning. And what they would do is right after you were executed, they would go to your cell and they would post a sign above it that said, such and such date, such and such time, the year of our Lord, blank McDonald has been justified. Their penalty was paid and they no longer owed anything to the people of Scotland. And how perfect of an example is this for us in that their penalty, or our penalty, which we receive when we're born into the covenant of Adam, when we committed sin, we deserve death, an eternity separated from God, that it is just that we receive that penalty. But Jesus' death, and when you accept his gift of grace, is actually what justifies us or what pays the penalty for our debt. We are justified in Jesus, and our sins are paid for. So how do we get this? Well, the Bible teaches that the only thing needed for this gift is faith, and faith alone. This is pretty freeing. And you might be thinking, well, if it's just faith and faith alone, then why can't I get drunk or why can't I keep having sex with my girlfriend? I'm gonna, I mean, I'm gonna marry her anyway. Why can't I watch porn? Why can't I gossip? It's all paid for, I'm justified. It's been paid. Now, if you're like me, when you hear that, you start to squirm a little bit, right? You get a little uncomfortable because as a believer, we do believe that Jesus' blood is infinite in its justification, in its coverage of the believer's sin. But Paul specifically addresses why this line of thinking is not only wrong, but for the true believer, it's impossible to, to hold this belief. Let's go back to Romans 6, one through four. Let's read that again. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. See, Paul uses the, the metaphor of baptism here to describe the process of a believer coming into union with Christ. He's saying that the baptism is what isn't what does these things, but it's a beautiful representation of what happened in a new believer, and it is significant. It is a spiritual act. He mentions this union in Christ several other times in scripture without mentioning baptism, which is why we form the belief that the actual dunking of the water is not what does it, but you can see that in Galatians 2, 19 through 20, or Ephesians 2, 5 through 6, but let's talk about what baptism is. Baptism is a naming ceremony. When we're born, when I was born, my parents saw me and they gave me a name. 
They said, his name will be Chase Yolhorn. And while giving me that name didn't do anything magical inside me that made me different, right? I'm still the same human being. But what it does do is it affects the rest of my life. Now when someone calls out the name Chase, there's an innate, uh, deep-seated inside me response to the name that is called. This is the same thing that baptism is doing. When we're baptized, what do we say? We say we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We are named as children of the Father. We are named and receive the sonship of the Son and his justification. We receive the Spirit of God through his redemption and the communion that we receive through Christ. After baptism, which is the outward naming of your soul for Jesus, we are innately connected to the Father publicly. We're born again a baptized believer. That is who I am. So he says when we are baptized into this new name, this new identity, we're baptized into his death, buried. This is the only time he uses buried in the context of baptism. What is a burial? Why is that important? It's because it's final. It's done. When you bury someone during a funeral service, that's the end. In a minute, we'll see that Jesus died to sin, and he specifically and on purpose in this passage didn't say for sin. He said to sin. The penalty for sin was death, and that transaction for the believer is finished. He died because of our sin or to it. So if we take on this union with Christ, we too have died to sin. Does that make sense? Our union with Christ is taking participation in his death and covering our sin. Our unity with him by faith is what allows our payment to be included on his receipt. It's done and it's complete. Paul ends verse four by saying, we are baptized into death so that we are also raised from the dead by the glory of the Father so that we might walk in newness of life. Newness of life, this is a life that is empowered by the reality of the new covenant with Christ and a life that reflects the values of Christ. It's newness of life, not a little changed, not I can kind of feel it sometimes. It is complete. Your job, your money, your marriage, the way you watch TV, how you vote, how you raise your kids, how we treat our mental health, it's all new. This unity with Christ brings on new life and changes everything. And we have a word for that process in our life, and it's sanctification. We are sanctified, meaning that we become more like Christ than everything we do through our union with Christ, which we receive when we accept his salvation through faith. This union, this coming together with Christ is crucial to the Christian way of life. Let's turn back, let's go to verses five through 11. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin 
once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Your death, your sin, has already met its end. When we accept Jesus' blood and his sacrifice, we are accepting the death of sin's dominion over us in our lives. Our sins led to a death that has already happened, and Christ gives us a life that we get to give to God. It moves toward God after justification. Does this mean that we're perfect? No. Does this mean that we aren't saved until we're perfect? No. But it does mean that we have the power to stop sinning and we have the power to defeat it. When Paul says in verse six that our old self, or in the Greek, uh, he actually said our old man was changed, we became our old self to the new self, he wasn't meaning like ontologically or or a, a metaphysical change of the actual being that you are. What he was talking is about that now you are, it's a relational change. You were under the covenant of Adam, under sin. And now, through justification, through Jesus, you are moving into relation with God that only Jesus has earned. This relationship change, we were in the brokenness of Adam, and now we're in the covering and the justification of Jesus. And our unity with Christ is what gives us the power over sin. So that new relationship here is what allows us to defeat the old one that still tries to pull you down. Paul is asserting in this passage that justification and sanctification are inseparable. You cannot be justified through Jesus' blood and by Jesus' sacrifice and then not be sanctified by him throughout your life. They don't work as a Christian. So if you're continually sinning and you're continually, uh, you're not growing in your relationship with Christ, what you have to say is that you're not living up to the other half of your bargain. Look at what Paul says to the Corinthians in chapter one, verses 30. Verse 30. It says, and because of him, you are in Christ. This in Christ here is in Christo. It's the part of the Greek that even I can read. In Christo. And he uses it 73 times in Paul's writings. He says, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. John Piper, a very famous preacher and theologian, once wrapped up that text like this. He said, Christ becomes wisdom for you, and this overcomes your blinding, deadening ignorance. Christ becomes righteousness for you, and this overcomes your guilt and your condemnation. Christ becomes sanctification for you, and this overcomes your corruption and pollution. Christ becomes redemption for you, and this overcomes, in the end, all the miseries and pain and futility that comes from sin and guilt, like sickness and death. We become new. Let's go to verses 12 through 14. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, 
but under grace. This new relationship that we have, from going from being controlled, from being condemned by sin, to being justified in Jesus, changes everything. John Piper also said, we do not judge the Bible here. The Bible judges us. And today, the Bible is calling you out of your sin as a believer. And I'm not talking to someone specific here because I'm talking to all of us. And not because you need to white knuckle your way through life so you can earn something for Jesus, but because it's not who you are as the believer. When you have sin in your life as the believer, you're constantly fighting this cognitive dissonance of who I am versus who I'm being. And you need to go back to who you are in Jesus. We must walk daily in our pursuit of Christ and in our cherishing of the unity that he gives us to become as holy and blameless that we can while on earth. We'll never be perfect. It's not something we can attain on this side of heaven. But Jesus will continually sanctify us and make us like him as we continue to grow closer. I'm gonna pray and the band's gonna come up. And after the service, we get to celebrate four souls being named for Jesus. Four souls that have been cleansed and redeemed and are taking on that identity in front of us today. And if this is something that you've never experienced, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you need to talk to one of us today, myself or Paul or uh, Dave or David or anybody in the back. We would love to talk to you about this cleansing and this, uh, this weight that is taking off of you. So feel free to come up, guys. But God, we thank you so much for your sacrifice that you made for us. Lord, we pray that as we continue to search for you and hunger after you, that you would sanctify us and make us more like you every day. Lord, I pray that as we fight the battle of sin in this life, that as we fight uh, the urge to let our old relationship or our old uh, covenant with Adam take over or rule our life again, Lord, that we would come into the realization that our unity with you is the freedom that we receive. And so God, I just pray that as we worship you, as we baptize people in your name, Lord, that we would not be lost on what you've done for us, that it would not be lost in the moment, that your grace and your power would be recognized, Lord, because we thank you, and there's nothing we can do without it. In your name, amen.